Well, this is Marcia Epstein with Talk With Me, and I want to say hello to our listeners wherever you are and whenever you're listening. So I don't get to say good morning or good afternoon or good evening. I guess I could say all of that because who knows if you're listening in the middle of the night, the middle of the day, whatever. And that's really cool because one of the things I love about this show is that sometimes people meet each other and hear each other's work that they wouldn't have heard maybe before. And then you get to go snoop around and find out more you're in the area maybe get to hear each other perform stuff like that if you're just a lover of words and want to hear somebody's writing you know there are readings in whatever community you are and try it if you've never been you might be surprised at how much actual fun it is and and just there's this other special thing about hearing writers speak their own writing you know and then buying the book i'm a big fan of buy the book I say that probably every show with a writer, but I really believe it. And if you look at Talk With Me, you'll see some photos now and then of some of the books on my shelf, which looks like a book pile at this point, because there's shelf and there's this pile next to it, and that's a double layer, because I love being able to be part of supporting local art. And one of the ways I get to do that is by buying poetry books, other books by writers that I've met, some small art pieces that are pieces that I'm able to afford, that kind of stuff. And it's cool. It's cool to know more of the stories behind things, not just have stuff. Anyway, today my guest is somebody with a new book of poetry. And as we were just talking, with poetry and photographs, that means it is ekphrastic poetry, if you want a big fancy word for a book. Um, and, And I am with both this person and her agent, which makes it even more special. So I will say that in the room with me, this time actually in the room, which is a special treat, is agent Oliver A. Hall and writer Julie Unruh. <laughs> Hello to both of you. <laughs> you could be a super spy agent, <laughs> listening to people through their microwaves. Yeah, yeah we do that all the time. What a week this Every week, every week. It's so sad. Anyway, so Julie, tell our listeners a little bit about you, just so they know a little bit about who you are. Um, I'm Julie Unner, and I have a brain injury, obviously. Well, well not obviously. Not <laughs> What a way to start the conversation. Yeah. Take two. <laughs> you are Julie Andrew, and, and you I'm, write, and uh, you're tall, and you're blonde, yeah. and you take photographs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, where are you from? I, oh, Montezuma, Kansas. And where would that be? Out by Dodge City. Uh-huh. Yes. And where would that be? <laughs> way out there. <laughs> Six and a half hours away. Central, western? It's southwest. Southwest, okay. Okay. Because some of our listeners are way far away, and they're like, well, I kind of know that Kansas is in the middle. That's about as much as I know. Yeah, it's okay. It's an hour away from the Colorado border. Oh, all right. So is it pretty? It's flat. It's flat, okay. That part of Colorado, okay. Oh, uh, well, no, well, that part, part of where I'm from, right. Colorado, you, yeah, when you drive, you get, it's more green uh-huh. in Colorado. And, uh-huh. Yeah. So it's flat. Did you grow up on a, an actual farm? Like yes. Like raising what? Cows, 
sheep, pigs. Uh-huh. So livestock farm. Yeah, and then we had corn, wheat, soybeans. Oh. Um, yeah, corn, wheat, soybeans. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah. Well, I can top that. I have started a lot of my life, not started, but in rural Texas, where what was growing around us? Tumbleweeds and oil rigs. That was about it. Oh, well, we have tumbleweeds. <laughs> we have oil rigs. I was actually born in Southern California, and as a little kid, my mom remarried, and this is where we moved. And it was horrifying to me. It's like, what is this place? <laughs> and huge amounts of grasshoppers. Like, what are those? They were in the car of the person who picked us up. I was like, <laughs> I, I don't know what. Where are you know? This is like being on some other planet. Yeah, um, where we'd come from. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and place is important you know obviously there are parts of that 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 become parts of us so it's interesting do you guys do you garden now like do you grow vegetables or anything no no um i worked on the pendleton country farm and i yeah i did a lot of asparagus out there uh-huh yeah love the pendletons they're wonderful people and great stuff going on there always and I'd love to start gardening again. I just don't have time. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Take up the whole. But you're taking photographs. Yeah. It looks like a lot of your photographs are probably nature photographs, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Why do you laugh about that one? No, because you're like, I'm like, I don't garden. You're like, but you take photographs. I'm like. What does that, that have to do with anything? Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> it's Can't the nature the connections. That's what I'm Oh, thinking. yes. That's where my brain went. I love nature. Uh-huh. Obviously. Obviously. Yeah. Because of what? Because I, I grew up in nature, and, like, I find peace and solace and everything uh-huh. just sitting outside and watching the birds fly by. And yeah. Maybe a snake or two. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a huge fan of snakes, and I realize it's only because I haven't taken time to learn about them. Well, n- not a lot of them. Okay, so I don't, I'm not really for sure about this, but, okay, that's the spiders. It's not a lot of spiders are poisonous. Spider snake? No, no, spiders. Oh, okay. But anyway, in snakes, I don't... Uh, rattlesnakes is the poisonous one that I can think of around here. Uh-huh. So other than that, I'm just like garter snakes, which I see all the time. Uh-huh. Or bull snakes. Yeah. I'm just like... No big deal. Yeah. Okay. It's like, go on yourself, you know. I'm going <laughs> to kill them. I'm going to chase them down and kill them. Right. But you're also yeah. not afraid of them because you know they're not going to do anything bad. Yeah. Yeah. That's an important lesson in life. I want to remind people. <laughs> instead of just being afraid of things, learn about them. And then you might decide you love them. That they're really cool. <laughs> I have a friend who collects, not just Flex isn't the right word, but he's very much interested in snakes. Brian Culver, I don't know if you've ever met him. No, he, he for a long time was was working at People's Bank, and now he's doing his own stuff, and he's real involved with a lot of community stuff. But Brian is a snake guy, and so he's like, anybody who knows him, if they find a snake and they're not sure what it is, call Brian, because he will <laughs> come and look at it. If it needs to be moved from where it is to someplace else, he'll do that safely, because he loves snakes. He knows them, you know? He's a yeah, he is. Wow. <laughs> Brian Culver, call him and feed it for snakes. But you know, when you said it that obviously you like nature because of where you grew up, 
I think the, you know, I go back to this Texas thing, which is a really bad part of my life <laughs> and not a place that inspired anything about me wanting to be outside or inside or any place except away from Texas. Yeah. <laughs> that part of Texas, I must that I have to say. <laughs> I, I have dear friends in other parts of Texas, and they love it, and they tell me it's good. It's like, that's great. You keep it. Yeah. <laughs> but I have friends at South by Southwest right now, so it's like, you know, good things going on. Anyway, mm -hmm. so so some have you taken photographs for a long time? No. That, that is something. Okay. Well, I mean, I was always interested in photographs, mm -hmm. and yeah, uh, but I, n I never really took them. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the one time that I did start taking them was when I was, when I, when we were on the trip to Alaska, we'd have to be like, Grandpa, pull over, you know, so we'd get out and we'd all take these pictures of, like, that, that was so great. Um, Montana was, it was in June. No, it was in July. Yeah. And so it, who took the photographs? When I did. Oh, okay. Yeah. What did you, do you remember what kind of camera you used back in those days? It was one of those, like, um, throwaway cameras you get Yeah. In, Yes, me and my sister bought like ten of them. And uh huh. We went through it. Yeah. Yeah. So then after the accident, that's the only memories I have is of the photographs. So. Okay, so that was great that you had them. Yeah. As prompts. I asked about what kind of camera because a friend who's a poet in Portland, Matt Amott, is also a photographer and artist, and he was talking about how he realized that he's taken photographs so long that, you know, it's he's used Polaroids and he's used, you know, these different kinds of, and he's used disposables and, you know, and now maybe only his iPhone sometimes. You know, oh, but now if I take photographs, uh -huh. it's with my Canon camera. Oh, you have a good one. Okay. Yeah. Cool. He, he told me about it. Your agent told me. Yes, and he said, Julie, we really need to get one of these. Uh -huh. these are like, then he tells me about how they were tested in, like, extreme weather uh -huh. and underwater. And I'm like, okay, that sounds good. <laughs> get a good camera, they'll survive anything. That's very cool, get which is necessary yes. in these days in particular. Yeah. <laughs> so did you, did you just learn by doing, or did you... Do some reading about how did it work? Just didn't do it. read. I just started shooting um, the camera, uh -huh. taking pictures. I'm, yeah, I'm, how can you read about something that when you're supposed to like that you're supposed to look at and yeah. you see what you see is what like you want to um what you want to um take the picture up and, uh -huh. and that's what that's what you want like your your reading in your books yeah. Is like you just want to be like, this is what I saw, uh -huh. and this is how I feel, uh -huh. like the poems. And, uh -huh. Yeah. So you see a lot of similarity between your photography and your poetry because you're trying, you're communicating certain things. Yeah, but yeah. then I write poetry and I don't have any, and then Oliver has a lot of pictures, mm -hmm. and so I just go through his and be like, oh well, you know, this picture was good with this poem. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. if I have an idea of like, well. I'm gonna write this poem. And then we need a picture to go along with it, and I think that I know what it, what kind of picture it should be, uh -huh. but it, it doesn't. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> so you rely on Oliver's judgment about cameras and what photographs. Yeah, that we do it. Okay. I do. Well, okay. So, um, one of my poems that I have that isn't about my brain injury. I'm like, so okay, so I'm gonna read this poem to you, and you tell me what you see. Uh huh. 
and then so every and then he's like, oh well, you know, I see this, and then he gets a picture for it, or like he has a picture that he had taken for it. Uh huh. Yeah. And, you know, or well, whenever I do um pick pictures for my photograph, I'm just like, okay, so read these poems and tell me if this picture goes with it, and mm-hmm. those big. Yeah, it does, or now this needs to be something else. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Also, I'm thinking because you're saying that what you like to do are photographs from nature, we don't always have access to that thing we want to photograph at the moment we might need it. You know? Yeah. So it's good to have Oliver as somebody who is able to kind of be the keeper of the photographs and go, I know we've got <laughs> one that's going to work for this and look and find them. The gatekeeper. <laughs> and somebody I was talking to um, just, gosh, just was it yesterday, the day before, you know, is, I'm just trying to think. Matt Galetta, who's actually in upstate New York, um, is a writer. And he was talking about how when he was doing a poetry collection, he literally printed out stuff and had them all over, you know, just yeah. pages and pages and this and that to figure out that he, he needed to see them to be able to put together mm-hmm. this collection. And I don't know if it was like that for you too. Yeah, I, I do. Yeah, yeah. Is yeah, like one of these poems, you know, that isn't from this book, it's from my next book. Uh-huh. I have no idea what I should, you know, I have I like I have ideas of like pictures I should take, but then those don't really go with the poem or yes, yeah, so I have no idea what kind of picture I should like take for this poem or. Uh huh. Yeah. But you have Oliver who will yes. help you with that, so you don't have to do it alone, <laughs> which is a cool thing. Seriously, that's a collaborative effort in that way. That's very cool. Yeah. 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 So how? tell us about this new collection, and then I'd love to have you read something from it, but tell us a little bit about the background of this new, new collection. Okay, so I wrote this poem called Silence is a Sin in like 2014, right after Michael Brown had been murdered. Um, and I was at actually I was at a vigil for his for Michael Brown at the AME Church, and um, of course I was, they were they were like um, there was music going on, and I was standing there crying, trying to write this poem on my pamphlet, and it didn't really feel very good. Anyway, so I, so I named the whole. So I was like, okay, so you know, and then I started writing poetry. So then I. Um, so I, I, this book, I got all these poems, and this book I call Silence is a Sin. And all of a sudden, now nah, we should just have it one word. It's like, okay, silence. And mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's how the book came about. Mm-hmm. Yep. Did you, did you, like, make a plan for a book or realize that you had been writing some things that went together with that? Oh, um. It could be both. Well, I like I'm like oh well I should write a book or like or yeah I should do a book and then so what poems do I want in there and so I kept switching them out and mm-hmm. everything and then he had to proofread it so that's you know. good I mean everybody needs somebody to a proofreader to also be looking at it and some you know everybody ha- everybody I've talked to has kind of a close set of these are my first readers whose opinions I really value you know that really helps them make it their best work that they can do at that moment. So that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. 
did you, I mean, did you decide like, I'm going to have something done by a certain time or was it? Oh, no, it that? was, because uh, we didn't, I, I didn't, okay, after my vegetable garden book, I didn't plan on like writing a poetry book. Okay. That was like, okay, when I was in high school, I, I had wrote some poems and then, uh, and people were like, you should write poetry, Julie. I'm like, yeah, not really, no, it's not, never going to happen because, you know, I can't, and I actually thought poetry would all rhyme, mm -hmm. but I realized that it didn't. And right. yeah, so yeah, so poetry, a poetry book is like, I even when I like was gonna um, write it, or I wasn't actually gonna write a poetry book, but it came out, and yeah. So is writing poetry a little bit new to you? Is that part of what you're saying? Um, oh, no. Okay. Um, it's just, I, I tend to write poetry about everything. Like, okay. no, I have this ritual where I go out and get my coffee and my notebook and my cat. She actually follows me out to the porch. <laughs> and I sit on the porch and she wants to either jump my lap or something. Uh-huh. So I'm sitting there trying to read poetry or write poetry and drink my coffee. With a cat in your lap. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. should be your author picture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Julie, pen, coffee, cat. How do you do that? Yeah. yeah. So you, you write, but maybe you have been writing more privately with, in terms of your poetry for a long time? I guess I'm trying to understand that. Well, okay. So after my accident, I had... um. I kept journals because that's what they tell you to do. Is you need to write everything down, like write it once a day, write something down, some something memorable about the day. Mm -hmm. Well, when I started writing poetry, it was like three or four poems a day, and that, and I stopped writing in my journal. And it's now that's that's how I remember everything. It's, mm -hmm. They are they are my memories. In the my my poems. Are my mem are my memories? Uh -huh. That's beautiful. <laughs> or yeah, because I have poems about um, uh, inspired um, about being in a coma. Yeah, and that just tells what it was like, mm -hmm. like what I remember about it. You've you've mentioned, and for people who haven't met you before or heard, because we we've done a show together mm -hmm. a while ago. Um, tell people a little about what, what you're talking about because you mentioned, you know, memory and obviously the accident and you referred to the book, The Vegetable Garden. Just just kind of let people get updated on that part of your life. What what are you referring to that they may not know that was part of is part of your life experience? Um, in July 28, 1998, I was in a, an, an accident. Uh, the car I was riding in was <laughs> T-boned by a semi. It collided with the semi. And I was in a coma for three months and had eight or nine broken bones and ripped my liver, whole my lung. And I had to go to therapy for a year. Yeah. And they tell you to keep a journal. When, before you leave the hospital, you should, they tell you to keep a journal, try everything you, like all of your, like what you learned that day or what you're having problems with or what you need to know or whatever. And I have like eight journals in 
yeah so um my 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 poetry it i started writing it when i felt inspired by something so that seems and i quit writing my journals when i was writing my poetry mm-hmm. so and that's what i mean by my memories mm-hmm. they're actually coming out in my po- my poetry mm-hmm. and and earlier with your photography you were saying that your childhood pictures are actually another part of that memory that or kind of way of having memories is you've got photographs from from childhood so before the accident and then you have journals and now poetry and you're also back to doing photography yeah yeah and just briefly, the book Vegetable Garden that you've written, tell people a little bit about that and if it is available. It is available. Uh-huh. And it is um, about, uh, I, I wrote it um, uh, eight years after my accident, I think. And um, it's about everything that happened in the accident and how it makes me feel. Mm-hmm. And how I'm viewed and how I view other people uh-huh. because of the brain injury. I have a brain injury. Uh-huh. Just so they know. So my disability is a brain injury. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah. It's, it's one of many aspects of you, I guess, is what I keep thinking. But Okay, yeah. And, and I know before we were on the show, I was checking about so, so how people can get your books. And you said probably the best way is for people to contact yeah. you through Facebook. And so you have a Facebook page with your name, Julie Unruh, and the, the URL for the page that's that's the more author type public page is julie.unruh.7 on Facebook. Um, so that people can go there, message you, put a post, whatever, and be able to find out more about these books that you have that are available for purchase. Yes. And, and to me, that's, you know, it's great for people, you know, as I said at the beginning, I, I, we need to buy books from people. We need to buy art from people. It's really important. But also the vegetable garden story is a story that's, that's really inspirational for people, a message of, you know, this is my journey. And, and I think when we hear people's stories and it's like, maybe I could do that too. And the memory issue that you, you brought up, it's, it's something that is, came up to me in a whole different way. I'm, I'm reading, I'm a judge for a national writing contest mm-hmm. for people who have experience with suicide attempts and suicide thoughts. And one of the pieces I was reading last night um, referred a lot to memory problems that happened after ECT, um, after electroconvulsive shock therapy wow. that people know. And this person talking about, you know, changes in her life and adaptations she has to make because she might know that she should know somebody, but she doesn't know what the connection is, you know. And so I'm saying that because that that issue, there are different things that might physically happen to us that affect our memory. And and so, you know, somebody gets a prompt like, you know, maybe that would be a really good thing for me because I'm having memory issues for whatever reason, and maybe I need to do some some more documentation to have things to remind me, and that's a really great gift, you know? So I'm, I, I love when, when people pick up some ideas, you know, and, and some hope and some optimism and some sense of belonging, like I'm not alone, I'm not a yeah. widow because I have this, this going on, because other people too, for whatever reasons, you know? That's, that's another gift of your writing and your talking. 
that that's also I guess the whole point of the whole vegetable garden uh-huh. is to give other people hope that this is not the end. Uh-huh. If I can do it, you can do it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So that's huge. You're you're kind of quiet about it, but to me, it's like it's it is a big <laughs> thing to give to people. A really big thing. Mm-hmm. And I know we've talked before about sometimes you're in front of audiences talking about that too, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. It, yep. <laughs> I don't know what to say. It's like, yes, I do. <laughs> Very good. Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's a good thing you have an agent, huh? Yeah. <laughs> you can poke you now and then go, Julie, it's okay to say you're doing something really great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't need to be shy about it <laughs> so I would love to have you share some of your writing whether it's from silence or something coming up or you know what oh. for somebody to for our listeners to be able to hear some of you re- you reading some of your, your work okay um, this poem is called time and it was inspired by my coma in 1998 time is a fickle thing laying there for three months dreams I do not know no memory to keep them. The machines beep, telling everyone she is alive. Will it ever end? Time is quick or dragging on. Asleep for what seems like eternity, but it is only a short spell. To wake. Blackness is all around. Ned encloses me. No one is found. There is no sound. It is forever night. Wow. I wrote this poem to include everything that happened in my coma. My sister always asked if I dreamed in my coma. And... I probably did, but I do not remember it. Uh-huh. Everyone is always like, wow, you're in a coma for three months? Like, it's a big deal. Like, like they think it's cool? Or? No, no, like, okay. wow. Yeah, well, I mean, it is a big deal. No, well, I mean, <laughs> they're like, you miss that, that three months oh. of life. And yeah, yeah. but to me, about like, I was just like, it's a good night's sleep, you know. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, okay. Uh-huh. So yeah. You're, you're probably one of the few people that, that somebody has heard say, well, what, you know, what do you know about that experience? You know, cause that's, you know, like for me, I've heard that phrase that somebody was in a coma, but I've not heard somebody say, this is all I, this is what I know about that time when I was going through that, you know? And so, so that's probably part of the awe that you got in the reactions from people is we just don't know. Well, the fact that I lived after three months in a uh-huh. coma, uh-huh. yeah. But I was I was really disappointed when I woke up because it was all the same. And I was like, okay, if I was supposed to like be in a coma for three months, things should have changed because it looks exactly like it was when I went into coma. Mm-hmm. And I was disappointed, very disappointed. Mm-hmm. Did yeah. that last? I mean, was it about being in the same physical environment or something else? I was thinking, you know. That the sky would be bluer and the grass would be greener and, you know, people would be different. We wouldn't be walking around doing the same thing every day. Uh-huh. We'd, we'd do something else. Yeah. You know, and as you say that, you know, I, I go to other experiences I've heard people talk about and how when I'm the one experiencing something really traumatic, my world has totally changed from that experience. And I'm not saying the world looks different, but, but yeah. I see things differently. I, I have different perspective. There are lots of different ways that it, that it changes me. And so it can be frustrating that other people don't understand 
what what it is for me now. And that's, a, that's not exactly what you're saying, but I, I just think to kind of planting that seed is that, you know, we, we do have reactions to, to traumatic things that happen to us and they won't always be the same reaction for the same kind of experience for different people, but, but to acknowledge that. So, so you woke up, you know, with that disappointment, but I'm hoping and guessing that there was also something positive as well about waking up. I didn't know I was in a coma. I thought uh-huh. I was like, I just fell asleep. Uh-huh. I couldn't understand why I was in a hospital. I'm like, uh-huh. what is this? This is what, what happened. Of course, when I started to walk, when I tried to walk, uh-huh. I need my body out of the bed. Didn't actually, no, that uh-huh. was bad. Mm-hmm. I couldn't move. Mm-hmm. And when I did move, it hurt. Mm-hmm. A lot of pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And okay, so I know why now. I mean, I saw the white walls and I was kind of disappointed because they were white and I was wanting some color to liven it up. Yeah. Of course, I didn't realize that that would cause comas or a seizure. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That's why walls and hospitals are white. And, and, and then I realized that, you know, everything has to stay the same. So I don't freak out, Mm -hmm. like go and do a seizure or something because, you know, things are different. So, you know, you try and make it, just like when they went to when went to a coma. Interesting. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So you had to be informed, and you had to inform people about what you were experiencing. There had to be communication to help ease some of that. Um, I had questions. Yeah. I'm like, uh, what am I? You know, like, why am I here? Or, and my grandpa, and then. I was like, what happened, to, what happened to like everyone else? Why are they not in here with uh-huh, me? Uh-huh. Like, well, you were in an accident, Julie, and your grandfather died. And I was like, really? Because I was sitting there, I was like, wow. I had no idea yeah, what was going on. Yeah. To yeah. me, that would be scary to not know. I don't know how it was for you. It wasn't scary. It was just, it was a mystery, more or less. Uh-huh. So I was... So you wanted some answers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so in the recovery from that again is is what got you writing with that idea that, that journaling would be a helpful thing. Yeah. Later that became poetry with coffee and cat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um when you knew that you were gonna do the poetry collection, did you know from the get-go that it was gonna be Poetry and photographs? No. Okay. That was his idea. He's like, we need to do something different, Julie. We need to have poetry with photographs. Uh I'm like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Nice that you're so agreeable. (laughs) But I think it's a level of trust that that this will make it a better book. Yeah. Yeah. That's what he said. He's just like... (laughs) Because, you know, everyone does poetry. We need to do something different, like poetry and photographs. Uh-huh. So, Oliver, tell us a little bit about that. How did you make that decision that this particular book needed to be both illustration, like photographs, and... Because she's taking some really beautiful photographs. And I said, you need to show that part of your artistic ability. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so we just started putting them together. And uh-huh. she, after she went outside and take some pictures, I look at them in the camera and go, wow, that is a poem. Uh-huh. You know, just, it was so beautiful. The way she, for someone who had never like really handled a 
professional camera like that, a Canon, uh -huh. and it was an expensive camera, uh -huh. and uh, she just she just has a natural eye. Uh -huh. So I just thought, well, you need to take your portrait and your photographs and stick them together to show everyone that you have all these abilities. Yeah, how it is. Yeah. So yeah, and it's come together beautifully because of it. Yeah. Well, I love what you also said about her photo photographs being poetry. Yeah. And it, it gets me back to something that Dave Lowenstein said about murals because it was it was to me I still resent the fact that the pollinators mural with the Gwendolyn Brooks quote that we are each other's magnitude and bond that that mm -hmm. got knocked down. That was you know I just that just wrong in every way. And so I remember you know Dave talking about that. And there's a little film that uh, Nicholas oh, I'm forgetting his last name. Thank you, Nick, yes. Nicholas Ward yeah. made in this TV, Lawrence TV, with a <laughs> series of uh, live, I can't, live, I can't, I'll have to, I'll put a link to it maybe, but anyway, in there, Dave says that murals are visual poetry, just like you're yeah. saying that Julie's photo photographs are visual poetry. We're working on a new mural, too. Cool. Yeah. There's a new mural coming up, so we're going to be part of that. So. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. So, so the decision that it would be great to pair yeah, that's that's really really cool. Looks like you're getting ready to read a minute. Okay, this one's called Life's Labyrinth. The labyrinth of life, so complicated, never to find the right way, destiny, fate. Standing standing in the darkness, turning around in circles, walking into walls, looking for the door of a life I do not remember, forfeiting my love who has married another, my irretrievable memories of people and places. More the howl up in my brain cease, the fire in my veins only to be extinguished by love. Okay. I'm going to make our listeners wait just a minute to hear okay. more about that because I realize we have gone longer into the show <laughs> than I expected before break because I've had so much, I've had so much fun. I hope you guys have seen. <laughs> um, so we're going to hear from a couple of the Lawrence, Kansas businesses that sponsor LawrenceHits.com. And I say a big thank you to Daniel Smith who produces this show. And we will be right back with more talk with me with Julie Unger and Oliver Hall, the agent. <laughs> Welcome back to Talk With Me and Oliver Hall and Julie Unger. And Julie, you just shared one of the poems from your book, Silence, and that was the, the poem Life's Labyrinth. And I think you were getting ready to tell us a little bit more about oh, that. Oh, okay. I was looking up a word in my mythological dictionary, and it came across the word labyrinth. And then I remember Labyrinth with David Bowie and Jennifer Connelly, the show, the movie. When I was little, I used to watch all the time. She has two doors to choose from, you know, to find her baby brother. Anyway, so when you have a brain injury, you're always looking for the the right door to go back to the life that you got, you you had. Yeah, mm -hmm. and and that can be hard. Obviously. Well, and you're not going to get back to the life you've had. Yeah, I right? know. Yeah. Because then, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's very confusing and very horrible because you want to be the person you used to be, but then you learn that that person, nobody really liked that person. So, yeah. I guess I don't think of it that way, but you're saying that was your experience. But the other part is you're not the same person because of the different experiences as well as the physical changes. And and again, to me, that parallels people going through any kind of trauma, you know, that it, it does change us in ways. And I know in, in like in suicide bereavement, because we have 
mm -hmm. meeting last night that that's something that that we talk about is that you know that you yeah. have to adjust to what is going to be the normal for you now that is different very different than it was and not something you chose not something you planned you know so yeah. so then who are you now and hopefully in the long term you become somebody with some things that are even better about you than you were before you know that you that you you change in ways and you know for me an example the people i know who are the most compassionate the most understanding uh, are people who've had some hard life experience yeah that's you know? true and so that may be a gift that they bring to other people that they didn't have in such a big way before yes that that's true because they were just like, well, you, know, you used to be this way, and I'm like, I'm not like that anymore, and I don't remember it. So, uh -huh. can we talk about something else? Uh -huh. and, mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm just like, but you used to. I'm like, I used to be, and that's before the accident. So, uh -huh. we need to move on. Uh huh. Uh huh. So for you, it can be frustrating that people try to sort of hold you back with a definition that is yeah. who you are. And it's like they want to have the girl from high school. Uh huh. And. Um, I'm not like that anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which I don't know who you were in high school, but for most of us, it's a good thing that we are exactly the person <laughs> we were in high school. <laughs> yeah. That's the way we're supposed to be. We're supposed to grow. <laughs> yeah, because like they're all stuck in high school still. <laughs> There's more to life than partying. <laughs> Not all your poetry, obviously, is about your brain injury. And yeah. You mentioned that the title of the book came from so, something that, that have wrote after Michael Brown's death. Yes. And so I'm wondering, is, is there something in your in your book in particular that you might want to share that relates to that theme as well? Um, well, I wrote this poem after Michael Brown was murdered at, at his vigil. Mm -hmm. So silence is a sin. Do not stand there and watch as they hold a gun to his head. We can no longer implore for our children anymore. And as we stand with our heads held high, we fall on our knees with hands to the sky. Yeah. That's a huge thing to think about for all of us to be aware of things that happen in our country and what we can do. Yes. What we need to do in our local communities as a starting point to make a difference. What kinds of things are going to be in your next book, you know? Because you said oh. you were already working on that. Yeah. I'm not saying you have to read I, it all now, but I've I don't have the photographs yet. Yeah. <laughs> but this is like my, one of my favorite poems. Okay. Do you have a Do you have a guess at this point as to when you're going to have this book released? It's going to be later this year. Uh huh. But during yeah. 2017. Yes. Okay. This poem is called "When You Have Forsaken Me." When you announce me, I will have already I will have already refused you. I once looked with comfort onto your reassuring face. Now I've turned entirely away from you. The face that gave me contentment has abandoned me, like the withering flowers that smell of lilacs. Really, as if no one remembers them, they will die, as I will not remember you. Like a lighthouse suddenly stops giving me warning flashes of danger to ships and high seas, I will no longer answer your loving call to me, as if I've been paralyzed in medicine or a burning tree. My touch to you will relinquish all of my love. All of my love if you have forgotten about me but if you remember me little by little hour by hour day by day i will remember you 
You want to tell us something about that? Since oh, it was a favorite. It, it, well, okay. It's, I was listening to poems on the computer. I do them when I need inspiration. Uh-huh. And this, um, um, his um, Spanish, like, Spanish guy. I, I don't know how to say it. He he was writing poems. You know, he had wrote these poems, and I don't know how what what year, but Madonna was reading it over the on the computer. Uh-huh. I was like, you know, I I love that poem, and and I only do it to male poems poets. I never do it to female poets because I'm always like, well, what's this like in the in a female point of view? What would that be like? So that's what that that poem is about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's a poem that came with you on the porch with the cat? No, that oh. actually came <laughs> in the, on, my, on my kitchen table. Ah, I moved indoors for that one. Yeah. <laughs> that where the serious work comes? Yeah. Oh, but I have another one about me on my porch. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's called Bear Trees. Drink coffee staring at the bear trees surrounding me. Woman gets out of a parked car to walk a mile. The wind in its baritone voice slides through the trees, taunting me, saying, "You will never be free of me." And uh, yeah, I was sitting on the porch, and it was really it was windy. Uh-huh. And um, I was sitting, and there was this lady that parked her car, and she got out, she got out, and she was walking. And I'm like, "Why didn't she park way down there? Because it there's a lot of parking space down there, but." I guess not. And then the wind, and it it was like flew through the trees, and it was like a dark voice. It was like it was a deep voice. Cause you know how the trees have that deep voice. Well, okay, no. <laughs> you know what I mean, the wind. It sounds like really like it sounds really dark. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know how to say it. Um. Uh. Well, it, it sounds like it's howling sometimes, yeah. or but yeah, that's what I'm what I meant when the baritone voice, uh-huh. yeah, and that's how. And I think my kitty was with me on that one. <laughs> Inspired by kitty, <laughs> yes, with yeah. lots of things. So it, it sounds like the the next collection may be specifically things that you're saying are bringing, elevating a woman's voice. Well, yeah, because I actually wrote that book when we had the election, the not not this current one, the, when Obama and, what what's his name, that one guy? Uh, I would say Magic Underwear because that's the one to believe in. Oh, you're good, Rob. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then... <laughs> They believe in magic underwear. (laughs) (laughs) No, and then they were talking about a woman. That needs to be a (laughs) poem. No, they were talking in every election. It's always about what we can take away from women. And, you know, I'm like, okay, fine. I'm just going to start writing poetry about women. Uh You know, what we're like and you know, what we can do and yeah. Yeah. And how we're held down and 
how like um, when men don't like us, like the acid tax survivors in New Delhi, India. Yeah, when a guy asked him to be like want to be my girlfriend, and then they refused, they throw acid in their face, and then or yeah, and I wanted to take. Well, I have some of that in my some of my poems, but not a lot. And that technically, I don't know a lot, like what happens to them, how they feel, and everything. And women who can't have children, mm-hmm. and what what does that feel like? And for women who want children and can't, uh-huh. and um, and women who are. Uh, Women who, who fear their husbands. Oh, I have a poem with that. To lighten things up. To lighten things up. From the magic underwear. <laughs> oh, I have. <laughs> There's a whole kids' book series about Captain Underpants. Yeah. So you could start from there. I, I, I have. My nephew loved those when I, he was little. Okay, this poem's called Women's Rights Equals Human's Rights. Women's Rights Equals Human's Rights. When in my heart did I know that human rights are women's rights? Women always have to go without food or water if our family needs more. We cannot keep covered up with the blankets that we're warming the children. Sleep is not found. Our babies need to be burped. Women are not even allowed the crumbs off the table. They are for the rats. And I, okay, so I was researching something on the computer, and I and it came up that Hillary Clinton said women's rights are human rights, and I was like, Oliver, you know, women's rights are human rights. She's like, and then he goes, Julie, when did you know? You know, because Hillary Clinton had found that you know after NASA had refused her application or had told her that girls are not astronauts when she was little when she wrote them. Um, uh, he's, he's like, Julie, someone, did you know that women's rights are human rights? I go, never. I've never known that because we were always treated far worse than what we could be, than what they do treat us. Mm-hmm. Our, ours is always negatively. It's never, it's, it's always, they treat us far worse than they could ever treat any animal. So, yeah. And it's complicated. I think for me, one of the things that certainly this election and administration has encouraged more people to face is that there are lots of layers of bigotry in our country. Yeah. Um, and even within women, that that issue that life is still different for women with light skin versus women of color. And, you know, that that you know, I see in some conversations and, and understand that sometimes white women have have sort of pushed ahead of women of color without realizing even even stuff that I read about feminism I didn't understand, you know, when I was kind of growing up and hearing things was that actually unfortunately a lot of women's rights movements was really only gonna benefit white women because there were other things that were going on in civil rights that were affecting women of color. Yeah. And so, so we need to, you know, I, I need to be respectful that, yeah, there are things that happened to me 
that wouldn't have happened. There, there are things that happened to me and my family because I was the girl child and I had three boy child, boy uh, siblings, I have three brothers. My experience with my stepfathers was different because I was the girl, mm-hmm. you know, but I also don't say that, you know, I know what it's like for all women or, you know, that, that idea that still I go forward in the world and, I'm, and I've got light skin and so some people aren't going to treat me the way they would treat a woman of color. One of the cool things in, in Lawrence right now, I, I just kind of saw formally that Ashanti Spears, I don't know if you guys know her, um, she's, she's, I know her as a poet. Um, she has some connection with uh, Makerspace and, and she, she wasn't to think of, she's in Lawrence now. Anyway, Ashanti uh, started a new Facebook group that's um, WOC Makers and it's called Woke for Women of Color Makers and talks about the women in part that Women's March was really, it started by women of color really? and lots of- From the birthplace of basketball, this is LawrenceHits.com. Lawrence, Kansas, USA. Oh, here comes the music. It's the 60s. Then I saw her face. Now I'm a believer. Activism based here in Lawrence, Kansas, as well. Yeah. Um, okay. This is another poem. I don't have in the in my second my women my woman book. Woman, woman, women. Okay. <laughs> um. This book. This poem is called "Statue." We are warned of the signs of death, but no one tells us about the dangers of quiet life. Never cause waves. Never raise your voice. Never question your life. Always be a nice little mouse. I wrote that um, book uh, after I had read uh, on the internet about this man who was like, yeah, I have this great life. You know, my beautiful wife, you know, of 25 years. And I have two kids. And we got a big house. We got cars and things. Well, he had just found out that his wife, beautiful wife, had been cheating on her, him for the for the last fifteen years, and he was like, I mean, like the air was knocked out of him. So he was like, "Wow, you know, you know, I could have what I could have done. I could have, you know, joined a band, and I could have, you know, I could have um, rock climbed to the highest mountain. I could have traveled the world. I could have backpacked across Europe, and all that stuff. And and that for me, that was like how I was told." Well, okay, when I was little, me and my sisters always went over to my grandma's house and she was making homemade bread or cinnamon rolls. And she would, we were little, we were like little, like five or six. And she'd be like, girls, this is what you need to do to marry a man. Oh, wow. And she was like from the, the 30s. She never gone up past that. Uh-huh. Like never realized that women actually had, you know, we didn't have to wear pants anymore. And we actually had good jobs and we're, we are, some of our jobs are much better than, are higher up than men's. And she's like, okay, girls, this is, <clears throat> this is what you need to do. You need to learn how to cook, clean, do his laundry, have his kids, clean his house, you know, and when you're little, what? they're always just like, yeah, what are your dreams? And, you know, and you say them, and then when you reach 18, you no longer have dreams. Your family's dreams are your own dreams. You have to do whatever they want. Uh-huh. 
because they're not gonna they're not gonna make your life easier because you're doing what you want. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. That wasn't my family, but I have a friend, and I this was the first time I'd heard somebody talk about it in this kind of way, and she was first generation college student um, in her family. And as an undergrad at KU, she said, you know, in her family, she was considered an old maid because in her family, all the females got pregnant in their teens and settled down and had babies. And that's what the expectation was for her as well. But that wasn't her. And so, you know, she went forth in ways that her family eventually supported, but they didn't understand, didn't expect. And it was like, you're 18 years old and you're an old maid? What? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's yeah. when my oldest sister graduated from college, um, my grandma was like, I'm so proud of you, you know, because no one had actually ever graduated college uh-huh. in her generation, uh-huh. her son's generation. We, had, we were the first ones to ever actually get out of Montezuma, out of the, out of the farm, uh-huh. off the farm, and we went for, you know, an edu- a higher education. Uh-huh. And then, you know, and then they're like, well, is that going to make any money? What are you going to do? Are you going to get a husband? I'm like, dude, I really don't know. And, well, I'm not going to be on the farm. So, yeah. Yeah, but I really want to move back to a farm. So, to a farm, not necessarily there. No, not that one. <laughs> <laughs> but your ideal at this point would be country living and growing what on your farm? Oh, wow. Like, not having any animals, because I have a hard time with animals. I just feel really bad for them. But I'd actually save all the animals from the Humane Society, let them run free. (laughs) Um, And then I'd grow a garden of, like, a lot of potatoes. (laughs) A lot of potatoes. (laughs) The magic underpants? Would that be like everything in my garden? Because um, potatoes would be the only thing. No. Oh, okay. Like potatoes, like cucumbers, and green beans, and peas. And <laughs> it'd be great. Uh-huh. So like, we'd never really actually go to the store anymore. So you'd be vegetarian and eat lots. Okay, of so I don't know if I can do the whole vegetarian thing all the way. Uh huh. But most, of it, yeah. Uh huh. Cool. And catnip for the kitties. Uh huh. Any flowers? Do you like oh, oh lots of flowers. Well, okay. So the summer before I left for my trip that ended in an accident, I actually planted a flower garden. Oh. Yeah. And I was supposed to dig the flowers up by like August because they they're cannas and the, those attract hummingbirds. But I didn't get the, home. Can, are cannas the really giant leaves and stuff? Is that what that is? Yeah, I think so. And then um, they're bright colored. Okay. And, um, anyway, so I didn't get home till November. Uh-huh. So and then I then because I was bored, I was like, well, I'm going to go dig the cannons up, you know. And But my muscle had atrophied. And so I was trying to dig them up. It didn't really work. You know, mm-hmm. Not that good. Uh-huh. Yeah. So flowers, potatoes, vegetables. Yes. And lots of animals. Lots of animals. <laughs> lots of animals. I would say the ones from the Humane Society. Uh-huh. Do they have horses there? I don't know if this Humane Society can care for horses. Okay. Because I, I, I take horses. I uh-huh. like horses. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
<laughs> I would like an elephant, but I don't allow those. <laughs> you could be a home for retired circus elephants too, right? Yeah, I just I don't know what where I would actually have that kind of space. <laughs> I think this should be a story that you should write. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they could be. Yeah. <laughs> the idea of having elephants among the potatoes is quite intriguing. And as Oliver pointed out, there has to be somehow you weave in magic underwear. <laughs> yes. The... <laughs> and who knows what they would bring. Yeah. Looks like you'd like to read one more poem. Yes. <laughs> okay, because we're getting close to the end. Okay, this is called Vapors. Memories are fed to me. Cannot grab them. They are but vapors among my brain. And I wrote that poem after a night I had a friend from high school. I've known her like all my life. She came over and we had supper. And she was sitting there and she was telling me everything about high school. She's like, don't you remember? I'm like, no, I do not remember. Yeah. And people that don't actually understand the fact that when you say, no, I don't remember. Yeah. And she's like, you know, and she, she was sitting there telling me about myself. And I'm like, I, and most of the night I was like, oh, I did not do that. That is so not true. You know, I know. I'm, well, I don't think I would ever do something like that. <laughs> and she's like, oh, you did. Don't you remember? I'm like, no, I don't yeah, remember. Yeah. And yeah, so that's kind of an interesting dilemma that, you know, there are people who will tell you things that you truly did. At least they're giving it in the way that they remember it. So it might not be exactly what you did. But then somebody might be saying something and you really weren't there. And they, yeah. they think you they they in their memory you were, but but you weren't. And so that's that would be quite a dilemma. It's like, well, okay. But but for her not to believe you when you say I really don't have memories of that time so yeah well then I have to ask another friend who uh -huh. knew me when I was little I was like did this actually happen like no that never happened I'm like okay <laughs> just checking <laughs> yeah and then my other friend she's like you were so funny in high school I was like uh okay don't really remember any of that I, mean, <laughs> I remember walking around and that was about it and uh -huh. yeah I, yeah yeah I and I was mean in high school. Oh. I, I remember being mean. Okay. Yep. Well, I was standing up for everyone who everyone was making fun of. So that's not mean. Well, to to the other kids that were making fun of them was interesting. Okay. Well, it's probably true that they would say it that. Well, we have reached the end of an hour. Make sure people know we didn't say this earlier, but that you have a book release event that people oh, can yeah. come to, which is on Sunday, March 19th at 6 p.m. Um, at the studio that's actually Stan Hurd's studio, Studio B at 315 Industrial in North Lawrence. Mm -hmm. People are welcome to come by and to hear you, to meet you, and of course to buy the book Silence. Yep. Yeah, and I hope lots of people will be there. And I will sign it for them if they want. Which is really cool to have a signed <laughs> book. And, and if you can't make it there, to know that you can get a copy of the book by going on to Facebook to the page for Julie Unruh 
and the exact Facebook address will be julie.unruh.seven. So listeners, thank you and look for more Julie Unruh to come. And so long. <laughs>